So I've been making many discoveries reading John's um, gospel in the Jesus's encounter with a Samaritan woman and John chapter four. And uh, this story is so powerful because in it we have, um, you know, we have Jesus really modeling a way of using his power and influence in, um, in ways that can teach us, you know, what it looks like in a way to carry um, a message, um, even though we ourselves embody, are the embodiment of a, you know, like, a, I mean, we carry something just in our, in our flesh that can be off-putting, that can cause other people to not trust us. And in this story, we have Jesus going to um, a Samaritan woman, meeting with a Samaritan woman who's in a way like a border guard, um, who's keeping, um, keeping him away from her people. Um, and eventually opening the, opening the way for, for Jesus to enter and engage with her people. So let's, let's look at the story uh, really quickly. John 4. Um, Jesus, when he finds out that John, um, when the disciple, when, when he finds out that the Pharisees um, have heard that he's making more disciples than John, because Jesus' disciples were baptizing, I imagine John was baptizing people, but now Jesus has 12 disciples, and so there's 12 of them baptizing people, so 12 times more baptisms than just John, um, assuming that all these disciples were baptizing as fast as John was baptizing. So anyway, basically the Jesus movement was expanding, and uh, even though Jesus wasn't baptizing himself. So then he decides to take off. It says he he had to pass through Samaria, and, and that text, that verb, have to, is uh, always associated with kind of divine encounters. So he didn't actually have to go through, uh, through Samaria because religious Jews would skirt around through Jordan, the Jordan Valley, and avoid Samaria because that was a way to become kind of, uh, you know, uh, made unclean. If you, if you went through the Samaritan territory, you were... You were made unclean. So Jesus had to go through Samaria, I think, because he had this encounter with this woman that was uh, a timely encounter. He arrived at the well um, hungry or thirsty and tired af uh, before the woman who's uh, the Samaritan woman from the village comes there. And um, what we see is that Jesus, in a way, it's quite awkward, This the beginnings of this encounter, because the woman comes and you know, there was a huge sort of taboo for women, um, Samaritan, a Samaritan woman to approach and to take the initiative and talk to a male, uh, and especially a Jewish male. And Jews and Samaritans had no dealings with each other. So Jesus takes the initiative here. And uh, I think this can teach us what it looks like for us when we go into sort of foreign territory or territory where we're outsiders and uh, people might look at us with distrust. This story shows us what, you know, how to, how we can maybe finesse those situations and learn how to, to maybe even win trust. Except that Jesus doesn't seem to do a very good job of it in the beginning, because look what he says. He tells the woman, give me a drink, which just seems super like off-putting. I mean, I would never imagine doing that, just telling someone, give me a drink, especially if I was the sort of the white male like I am, 
a person of privilege representing white supremacy. I'm not going to say a, to a person of color, you know, a, who's maybe skeptical and cynical and looking at me with distrust, give me a glass of water. Um, but maybe Jesus is doing that in a way because there's no other way to really engage with her. And also maybe to provoke her because, in fact, she brings up the differences between them. How is it that you, a Jew, can ask me, a Samaritan, you know, woman, for a, a water, you know, for water? And, um, and Jesus, right away, goes from being a guest who's just been sort of uh, pushed away and resisted, I guess, by this wary woman to becoming a host. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who's speaking to you, like if you did know, uh, for sure, if you knew who I was, um, you would give, you'd ask him and he would give you living water. Um, so Jesus right away becomes like a host um, at the banqueting table of sorts. Um, he's now offering her something, um, but he doesn't say it in a way that is coercive at all. He says, if you knew, then you would ask. And he doesn't even say, if you knew that I, um, you know, that I was, that I am the Messiah and that I am God. And, you know, he just says, if you knew the gift of God and if you knew who it was that was asking, he says it in sort of an indirect way, right? And then she says, um, she, you know, she, she doesn't fall into his arms and just sort of agree and embrace his approach at all. Instead, she says, um, you know, she says to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where, then, do you get this living water? Um, so first of all, she's like, you know, how are you going to give me water? Um, you don't even have a bucket. And then she says, you're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Um, and of course, if you said, well, yeah, I am greater, then she'd write him off immediately, right? Because Jacob is like the head patriarch over the 12 tribes, right? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Like, come on, are you kidding? You foreign, you know, kind of Jewish guy who, who are you, you know? Uh, you, you can't be greater than our patriarch. And Jesus doesn't go on the defense and say, well, look, I'm a woke, you know, socially progressive, you know, uh, I have a lot of friends who are Latinos and like, uh, African-Americans and like I hang with the homies, you know, he doesn't do anything to kind of prove his credentials and he doesn't defend himself um, or put down Jacob in any way either. He doesn't say, well, yeah, Jacob, I mean, his name means uh, heel grabber, you know, kind of thief. And why are you elevating that guy? Like he was a creepo. He stole his brother's birthright. He doesn't put down Jacob and he doesn't elevate himself. Instead, he says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. So he says something that anyone would agree with, right? That even that the great Jacob's well gives water that you have to keep dr drawing and drinking because it doesn't permanently quench your thirst. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst but the water that I will give him will become in him or her a well of water springing up to eternal life. So, wow, that's attractive. Um, a well inside of yourself that permanently gushing that Jesus will give. So the woman can't resist at this point. She's like, wow, Jesus, um, sir, 
Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. So Jesus has gotten somewhere with this lady, but then Jesus has to mess things up. And this is where I get annoyed with Jesus, and I think, you know, Jesus, why do you make it so hard? You just succeeded at winning this woman's uh, heart in a way, right? And then you have to bring in her husband that, he do that she doesn't have. Uh, so he says um, to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus um, says to her, you've correctly said I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one who you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. So Jesus, um, rather than getting down on her and saying, you know, hey, lady, you know, don't lie to me. Like, I, I know your whole past, and and I, I, know, I you're lying to me. And uh, instead, he, he starts out by just affirming her honesty by saying, yeah, that's true. You know, you don't have a husband. Um, and um, but you have had five husbands. So he brings in that background information like he shows that, you know, he's got um, some background information, but he's not like digging up the dirt instead uh, because he's already offered her the living water and offered it to her husband. And um, and she knows that. Instead, he's like revealing, he's exercising, he's using the power that he has as a prophetic person, as God's son, as God, to uh, to kind of speak personally to this lady, like he's he's wanting to address her personally, and and he affirms her. He says, "This you've said truly," and but this doesn't win over this woman. I think this woman is truly like a, a savvy, uh, very distrustful. Sort of, she's like a border guard, a border official who's checking him out, and she's not about to let him into her life or into her community. She's going to make sure that this is a trustworthy person. And a lot of the people that we serve at Tierra Nueva are people like that. Um, you know, I think of Julio, who when I first met him, he was so distrustful of me. He thought I was a cop. You know, he thought I was undercover. And, um, you know, so many people distrust us from the beginning and... To win over that trust takes a long time, and it's not easy. And people have reason to distrust because they've been burned. And this woman had reasons to be distrustful. So the woman says to Jesus, um, I can see that you're a prophet. Okay, so she affirms something about Jesus. Uh, that's, I mean, she, she affirms that he, that he has seen, but he doesn't, she doesn't admit and say, yeah, that's true. I've had five husbands, and the man I'm with now is not my husband. This Jesus you have said truly. She doesn't say that to him. She just says, uh, I can see that you're a prophet. Then she brings up another um, point of difference. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Um, notice, though, she doesn't say, and I worship there too. She talks about um, our fathers as some, some, as some people that are kind of distant from herself. And yet you, Jews, say that in Jerusalem is a place where one must worship. Right? And um, so she brings up another difference that for maybe for her was like she got she has to decide if I'm going to take this living water, is it going to be freely given or are they going to make me like receive, accept Jesus as my personal savior or, you know, or stop smoking weed or are they going to give me, is, is he going to make me, you know, go to their church, his church rather than my church? And um, look what Jesus says um, Woman, believe me. 
this is a, a powerful thing that Jesus is saying to her now. He, you know, he, they've been going back and forth and she's been distrustful, but now he's saying, woman, believe me. And, you know, I just, I was just, while Mike, Mike was leading the worship, I, I realized, wow, that um, believing in the Gospel of John is a big deal. Um, you know, John the Baptist comes to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Um, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the authority to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, right? Um, many believed in his name in Jerusalem when they saw the signs that he was doing. Whoever believes in him, Jesus says, will have eternal life. Um, whoever believes in him will not perish, right? Um, he or she who believes in him is not judged. Um, and then uh, John 3.36, um, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. So believing in Jesus is really important. And Jesus is saying to the woman, believe me. She's, uh, Jesus is wanting, is inviting her to take a step of trust. And, and Jesus isn't afraid to do something that often we're afraid to do when we're bearing witness, which is to ask people to, to, to risk it and just to try believing, to try trusting, you know, to maybe receive prayer for something or to try to ask God for something themselves. And um, so Jesus says, believe me, then he prophesies, okay? And this is maybe more directly what he's asking her to believe. Believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So here Jesus doesn't force her to have to go with his religion in terms of the location, right? The sacred location of Jerusalem. He's nor, But he doesn't e affirm her location either. He doesn't say, well, like yours, your religion, your place is cool and my place is cool. He's saying, no, neither Jerusalem nor this mountain. An hour is coming when neither of these places are places where you, and now he's including her, where you and your people will worship the Father. And then he says something that really is hard for, for me. And um, he says, you worship what you do not know. That seems kind of off-putting, okay? Like he's kind of getting somewhere with her potentially, but then he says, hey, you worship what you don't know, whereas we worship what we do know. Like, um, that could sound like superiority, and um, which would make me not want to say something like that. And then Jesus goes further. He says, we worship um, what we know for salvation is from the Jews. So here Jesus shows us something that I think we need to, we need to really uh, think about. He wants us to be able to kind of name that we are carrying a gospel that, that has a history to it, right? God called Abraham to follow and to, and through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. This, the tradition that we come out of is a tradition that, that is rooted in, you know, back in the way and the way and the way past where God called a people to himself as his chosen people, the Jewish people. And out of that people, he sent prophets and, and who spoke on his behalf and, and he declared that his own son would come, who came as a Jewish male and is now with the Samaritan woman. And we don't want to be ashamed of that, right? Jesus is saying, believe me, 
and we need to have the courage to be able to tell people, believe, believe him, believe Jesus, because the salvation is from the Jews. But then Jesus says, but an hour is coming, and now is. Okay, now, right now, is. Here we are at the well. Um, the hour has come, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, I was just so struck this week by Jesus, how he says, worship the Father instead of worshiping my Father. If he would have said, uh, true worshipers will worship my Father, that would have been sort of a little bit coercive, a little bit of pressure on the woman to kind of just come into his religion. Whereas he's so much more gentle and, and open-handed. He, he calls his Father um, the Father instead of my father. And he doesn't call the father our father, which would have been going too far because she wasn't yet a believer, right? Um, but he says an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. And um, anyway, what do, what do you think about that? Would that be attractive to you to have someone talk about the father that way? An hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I find that attractive to want to worship in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks. So the Father's seeking, you guys. The Father's seeking people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Um, this is a God who's seeking and, and finding. And is he going to allow you to find him? And are you going to be one of his... Seeking, seeking agents. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now, you'd think that the woman would be won over at this point by Jesus' evangelistic approach, but she isn't. She says to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When that one comes, he'll tell us all things. So isn't that funny? This woman is still, like, really cagey and wary and not won over, right? She's saying, look, um, she's probably thinking to herself, this is like a potential new cult religion. And this guy, if I go with him, I'm going to be leaving my, 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 my culture, my, my people group. And um, look, the Messiah is the one that we're waiting for. And so um, I think I'm just going to go back and wait for him to come, right? But look what Jesus, and that's smart. She's very smart. Uh, and at this point, Jesus says to her something that is so powerful. I, yours truly, who speak to you, I am he. Jesus reveals himself to her. And here he uses the very same language as we have in, in, Gen in Exodus chapter 3, where when Moses is, fl flight, is fugitive and God meets him through the angel of the Lord in the desert and calls him and says, you know, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and, I'm and he calls Moses to be uh, the liberator of the people out of slavery. And Moses says, well, who do I say, well, how do I, what is your name, and who do I say has sent me? And Jesus, and, and God says, I am, or I am he. And in Greek, it's the exact same language, I am the one, I am he. So Jesus here is revealing himself, and um, and right at that point, the disciples come and mess everything up. They show up, and um, 
They're amazed that he's speaking with a woman, and the woman takes off, leaves her jar, and she heads into the town. And um, what's interesting is that as the border guard of sorts, she's been won over enough to tell the people, come and see the one who's told me all the things that I've done. But then she says, this is not the Christ, is it? <laughs> so she's still not won over. The way she talks about Jesus is, this isn't the Christ, is he? Right? She doesn't say, this is the Christ, right? She says, this isn't the Christ. And instead of bringing Jesus to her town, um, which would have been letting him across the border into her community, uh, the people of the city go out to Jesus, right? It's like they go out and they cross the border to where he is, and then they find out for themselves. And, um, and it says that, um, that many of the people, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman. Okay, so this border official, her, what, her testimony caused many people to believe in him uh, because uh, she said, he told me all the things that I've done. And then they came to him and they were amazed and they invited him to come. So they invite him into the village. They're the ones that welcome him across the border into their town. And many more believed because of his word, because they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed what? The Messiah of Israel? Yes, but they don't say that. They come to believe that he is the Savior of the world, of the whole world, right? Jews, Samaritans, and everybody else. And so this is a powerful message. And um, I think we, I, my hope is that we would learn how to be like Jesus, um, never giving up on, you know, sort of border officials type people that we meet, you know, who are wary and distrustful and who need to be won over. And uh, we can learn a lot about how Jesus does that. And then if we're one of those people that are the wary ones, Maybe we also need to choose to believe and then go and invite others to uh, come and, um, and meet the one who we are, uh, we are believing. In the end, it never says that the woman does believe in Jesus, um, only that all the villagers did. But we are still um, never going to give up, even on the people um, like this woman who, you know, who uh, I assume finally did believe, but not in this story. So I'd like us to just pray that God would uh, help us and empower us and give us that, um, just that faith and um, perseverance to, uh, to go after people, um, to be like the Father who seeks true worshipers, um, true worshipers like this lady and like you, like me, like so many others that maybe we know in our community. So God, I pray for you to help us, um, help us to, to be like you, Jesus, and to learn from your example and to go to the places that are outside of the normal, you know, kind of churchy religious places and to be ready for encounters and to be ready for the wary ones and to be willing to engage them um, in truth and also with courage boldness. I pray that you would help us bear witness to your beautiful gospel and that many would believe through us, but also through just meeting you directly.
We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.